All right, so as Tim said, we've got uh, two excerpts from First Peter. The first one is from chapter 1, 13, 16, and the second is uh, chapter 2, verses 4, 10. So it's First Peter 1, 13, 16, and 2, 4, 10. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. The venerable age of 16, I, uh, my parents sent me down to the Virginia Employment Office, and uh, they said, hey, you uh, probably ought to start working. And so they took out, no, no, no lie, they took out a shoebox with three-by-five cards of the jobs that were available for juniors in high school. And uh, they said, oh, this, this one fits your uh, skill level perfectly. You, uh, it's a, the Fairfax Tree Service needs somebody to move logs and push brush around. So I started to work for a tree service, not knowing, this isn't actually a picture of me, but uh, they wouldn't let me anywhere near a chainsaw or climbing trees. I later learned it was one of the most dangerous professions in the world. Now, I got a tree actually landed on me. A tree came across my back one time. I had more splinters and all that. But it was, you know, I, I had $2.30 an hour. Who am I to complain for that vast sum that I received in 1977? So I was looking up and thinking, okay, so what are, what are the dangerous professions in our world? I've done several of these. So the other, roofing is uh, apparently like really, really dangerous, right? I roofed on a uh, mission trip and totally could have fallen off the roof of this church we redid several times. I mean, those guys, hats off to them, right? Amazing. So you think, uh, I've never done this one, but pow- working on power lines, right? Super dangerous. Um, just don't touch the wrong one. Then you get to the ridiculous, right? Then you get to bull riding. Very, very dangerous occupation. Like, you, you don't, don't know that you want to do that. And then you go to the sublime and you think, snake milker. That is a dangerous occupation, right? Looking up on monster.com and LinkedIn, no call for all the snake milking jobs are filled. There's not like one need for one right now, but super dangerous. You might not think, but high priest or priest in general, super dangerous occupation. What we're going to see this morning is that those who have dangerous occupations have the opportunity, right, to do some great things, but 
It's, it's an amazing thing. We think now, when we think of priests, sometimes we try to translate it into what, like what I do. Or if you grew up in the Catholic Church or Anglican Church, they call them priests, and somehow we think, oh, well, you know, oh, they're a priest like the Old Testament. No, just get totally different. Let's get it out. Of, they weren't preaching sermons. They weren't counseling. They weren't installing elders in that way. This is a totally different calling that they had. So we need to look, as we're in the book of Leviticus, we are in uh, chapter 8. We've talked about, and I had Kevin read the part in First Peter, because we are talking about part of the law, what's the purpose of Leviticus and, and the law in general. It was that we would know God, that he is holy, and that he's called his people to be holy. That is the theme of this book. And so we've looked at the sacrifices, we've looked at the feasts, how these rituals were meant to instruct. Let's think for a second, why did the people spend 40 years in the wilderness on a journey that shouldn't have taken anywhere near that long, walking from Egypt to the promised land, but they were out there 40 years. We know that because of their lack of faith, right, they they didn't enter into the promised land, that the, the spies came back and said, oh, we're afraid of the giants in the land. We're afraid we can't do it. And I think this is for our instruction to be aware that they weren't fit and ready yet to be a people who were going to submit to God. They weren't going to be ready to enter the promised land. So what do we do with that? What do we here today do with that? The question is, are we able, are we fit to walk in the purposes and the ways of God? So the, what happens in the wilderness, what happens for these years that we read about in the first five books of the Bible, especially Exodus, Leviticus, and, uh, and Numbers, and then Deuteronomy as he's capsulizing it, what are we learning from this? Well, we're learning that God's preparing and teaching and training a people to be a people of faith ready to go into the promised land. So, what's happened to them? Well, he's set up this tabernacle, this place where God's presence is going to dwell among them. He's taught them about the kind of sacrifices, what they're supposed to do to make themselves fit and clean to be in God's presence. And now they've got to, how, how do we administer that? He's dealing with people coming out of Egypt, right? Where's Nancy? I see Of Egypt. They've come out of Egypt. And See, it's harder than it looks to you know, not, not let stuff slip out of your mouth. I do it every week. I listen to myself and think, oh, that wasn't what I wanted to say. So here they are in the wilderness preparing. And God, in setting the sacrifice, now he says, okay, there's going to be people to administer this. This incredible, awesome presence of God manifest in this tent. This holy person, how do we approach him? And so we, if, we, if we start at chapter 8, Leviticus chapter 8, 9, and 10, begin to teach us about this priesthood. It's the Moses' brother Aaron becomes the chief priest. Now, that's, that's an interesting thing in and of itself. Is Aaron... A guy like Moses, full of faith? No. Aaron was problematic. 
Aaron is the guy who, when Moses is up receiving the law of the Lord on Mount Sinai, facilitates the people building an idol, right, a golden calf to worship. Aaron doesn't have the, the same faith and strength and backbone. So, like, how does he get to be a priest? Doesn't really say, doesn't. There's, this is a, a calling. Uh, God just says, I choose you. It wasn't that Aaron was any worse or any better. It was that God says, you and your sons will have this role because it's, it's not by merit that we come into God's presence. It's not. You, you aren't good enough to come into God's presence. You aren't bad enough to be out of his presence. So Aaron's, I think, a wonderful choice. If Moses were the choice, so well, I'm no Moses. Absolutely not. Neither am I. And yet, and yet, God chooses one who, in and of himself, probably unworthy to say, hey, you, you're the one, your sons. If you read, I'm not going to go through it. It is instructive and interesting. If you go through what they did to, in chapter 8, to prepare, fortunately, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. We did an ordination this morning of Paul as an elder. Um, they have an ordination service here, but we would be killing, you know, if we sort of did it biblically, we'd have to slaughter an animal and put blood. And you, you think, well, I, I didn't really sculpt it to have an ordination service here versus there, but it was a cleansing and a putting robes on and putting jewels. And they put this urim and thumen, which were like these, um, they're not dice exactly, but they were a way to discern the voice of the Lord. They, they dressed these priests and said, okay, do it this way. God has given us a specific way to do this. Now, I don't know. I can't, the Bible doesn't say what each thing symbolizes. People, you'll read commentaries on this may mean this, and we don't know. The Bible doesn't say all the various robing and turban and jewels and everything on. The point was this. You don't come into God's presence with a casual attitude that says he's just like anybody else. This is the teaching tool for the people. God is holy. He's huge. He's not someone to be taken lightly. And so, in verse 8, they, uh, chapter 8 of Leviticus, they, they consecrate Aaron and his sons, set them aside for this purpose. And then everything that's been described in the first seven chapters of these sacrifices, they basically do them all in an opening service. You know, like a year and a half from now, we're going to have an opening service of our new building, something like that, two years, something like that. It's going to be a, a big deal. We're going to have a fantastic time. We're going to, you know how it is when something opens, a grand opening of something, right? You try to make it a huge deal. Well, this is the opening ceremony for how God wanted to instruct his people to honor him. It was a big deal. They did four of the five sacrifices they practiced. Moses basically, he was not going to operate in the priesthood, walks them through what God had instructed, showed them how to do it. They did it. They walked through and they put up the, the, the meat for the sacrifice and flame, bam, takes the offering. And God says, now the, the teaching can begin. And the people were like, whoa. 
just like Adam and Eve in the garden, it didn't take them but one chapter to decide they were going to do it their way. And it didn't work out so well to decide they knew better than God. I think of Ananias and Sapphira, the couple that withheld a piece of real estate from trying to lie to God about that they were bringing right after Pentecost. They decide, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell God little, you know, I won't treat God with holiness and they're zapped dead. We don't know exactly how long in chapter 10 was, but it was shortly after this opening time where Aaron and his sons are to be beginning this process of doing what God had said. And guys, they may not have understood any more than we do exactly why he had told them to do what they had told. They probably knew better because of their context. They probably had some understanding, but we don't know what they knew. But what we have is a story in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer. This is this thing that you would light on fire and, and grab fire and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire. The word there actually means a stranger. That's the, the literal word is stranger, strange fire. Before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. We can look at this, again, it can, we shake our heads in our context thousands of years later and say, wow, God seems like a big mean guy. Let me just say that the, we cannot Treat God as less than what He is, which is completely and utterly holy. And we don't know the circumstances. We don't, they don't, the Bible doesn't really give us much more than that. There's some things we could speculate because a few verses later he says, don't come into the presence of God drunk. This is a couple verses down in verse 10. So some people have speculated maybe they came in intoxicated. We don't know, possibly. What we do know is it wasn't some casual mistake because there's an offering given. If you accidentally do something wrong, you can repent and God forgives. There was something in their attitude and in their practice which says, I know better than God. I think it's the same spirit, the Ananias and Sapphira, Adam and Eve, that sense of, yeah, God might have said it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. So, I mean, what's one fire versus another fire? What, what's, what's a big deal, God? And I think for me, just first takeaway for me is this, is that, guys, God is God. And he has laid out for us so carefully in his words so much of how we are to live, how he has designed life to be. And our world... Guys, it says, no, we, we know better than God. We do. We know better. And we can pick a hundred areas where that's true, and people will say, you know, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. And let me just say that as believers, we have got to take God's word seriously. Why? 
Is it because we're afraid he's going to zap us? No, because he has called you and me to live differently and be something completely and radically different. He's called you and me to be a priest. You may say, hold hold on, because we again maybe think priests like pastors or priests like uh, a job. No, he's called us something far greater than a job. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Peter because I, I really just want to spend time not looking so much at what the Levitical rules were for the how priests were supposed to be different. There are a lot of those, but I want us to look at what we're called to be. What are the implications for us that we're called to be priests. In Exodus 19, God's initial purpose was that his, all of his people would be priests before him. In Exodus chapter 19, as he, as before we're into the Levitical laws, God says that he desires that all of his people, his whole, the, all of the people would be priests. And The people said, no, we can't do that. We're too scared. We're going to get destroyed by God. Let Moses speak to God. Moses, you tell us. But see, the role of priests is to go into the presence of God, be near his presence. The high priest gets to go once a year into his very presence and sacrifice for the people. That's what we are going to finish with in Two weeks, I'll be preaching two more times on Leviticus, and we will, the final week, we'll talk about what's sort of the pinnacle of the book, which is the Day of Atonement, when the high priest goes into the very presence of God and talk about a dangerous job. But the priests, not just the high priest, but all the priests, get to come near to God's presence. And it's an awesome and serious responsibility to do that. And so, the question for us is that what's changed? Well, God's purpose was that all of his people would be priests before him. They said, no, he sets up Aaron's priesthood, what we've just been learning about in Leviticus. Okay, a few people are going to be priests. They're going to be representative of you. And then what happens? Well, There's a lot of problems with that priesthood. Aaron, they have to sacrifice for themselves. They're sinful. There's all sorts of issues that arise out of that. And then what we see is that in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ renders this priesthood obsolete. That he comes as the high priest. And we go back again to the fact that all of us are called to be priests. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, the high priest, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the same thing that was done in chapter 8 of Leviticus by the priest, Aaron and his sons, all went through this process of being sprinkled clean with blood, bodies washed with water, oil was put on their heads like the Spirit of God. 
Let us hold fast, it says, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So he uses priestly language to say, look, everybody now has access. Everyone can come into God's presence. But just like the Levitical priests, if we do it casually, if we don't honor God, and I think this is where often we are today, is that we, we have sort of a casualness in many aspects of our life. And God is still holy. What he was trying to teach his people then, he teaches us now, which is he is still awesome and powerful and mighty. And he expects us to walk in holiness. That be holy for I am holy is Old Testament, New Testament, it's all through. He anticipates that we would grow to live more like him. Do we bring sacrifices anymore? Well, thank God we don't do animal sacrifices, but we do bring sacrifices. Let me tell you what the Bible says we now get to sacrifice. If you got your Bible, open to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And Let's listen to this with the language of the priesthood in mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So they would lay these animals on the altar and sacrifice, and we think, oh, somehow it, it gets us. God says, animals, nothing. I want you on the altar. I want you to just lay yourself down on there and present your bodies, not to sin, but to God as a living sacrifice. It is what? It is holy. It's acceptable to God that our lives are to be completely and utterly His. That's our first sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says we're to bring God a sacrifice of praise. Guys, it is a sacrifice. It is sometimes difficult to praise I don't know any other way to begin to combat the anxiety and depression that so gets me and and many people except by bringing God praise in the midst of times when things seem dark. Light bursts through when we bring a sacrifice of praise. Remember, the fire of God comes and consumes that which is offered to Him. And I feel like sometimes our praise, when we bring it, even at times when, gosh, we're struggling maybe to think, what can I praise God for, that we would see His presence revealed and made, made real to us. Third, Psalm fifty-one, seventeen, David, after having committed really egregious sin against Uriah and Bathsheba and has fallen... And this is during a time prior to Christ where the sacrifices were still being done in the temple. 
But he says, and, and David says, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you won't despise. So we bring humility. But I don't know everything. You're not God. You don't know best. Say that to yourself over and over again. I don't know best. I don't know better than God. So we bring our lives. We bring our praise. We bring a humble, a contrite heart. I think it's interesting. Did God enjoy the sacrifices of the Aaronic priesthood? It was a teaching tool. What he's always wanted is a humble people who respond to him. But he needed to train and teach them what it looked like to be in the presence of a holy God. Because the people around them, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, those that they were living with, they all had priests. Priesthood predated Aaron and this priesthood. There were priests. Jethro was a priest, Moses' father-in-law. We have Melchizedek, we'll talk about, the true priest. So priesthood isn't new with this, but he's trying to teach them it's not like the peoples around you. First Samuel 15, 22. Once again, we're still in the Old Testament where they're giving sacrifices, but the Lord, in rejecting Saul, gives this word to the prophet Samuel. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to God than the fat of rams. Our fourth sacrifice is to obey and listen. Trust and obey, for there's no other way, as the old hymn says. And finally, a fifth way that we get to bring our sacrifices now as priests before God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Hebrews speaks a lot to this because it's speaking about the way that the priesthood of Aaron is dead and gone. But he says, do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have. For with these sacrifices you are pleasing to God. It's pretty simple, right? Do good, share with others. First Peter 2, we're going to close with this. The things I really want you to carry away from this are this. Men, women, Anyone who has taken on the role of Christian of the name of Christ, you have a high priest who has gone into the holy place, the awesome God, has ripped the veil down, has made access between you and God now open, but only through Jesus Christ. So you can now come into God's presence, not casually, but joyfully, like children respectful of your father, but not afraid. You are able, you have full access. Not, you don't have to be Jew or Gentile, male, female, age. It doesn't matter. If you trust in Christ, you can come into God's presence. 
He is holy. He is still holy. And your holiness matters. Don't fool yourself into thinking you can behave any old way you want to. Because God's so forgiving, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Yes, he loves you and yes, he forgives, but he's not a casual God who he still can't be in the presence of sin and only Christ in his blood covers it. Third, you still get to bring sacrifices. I'm thankful I don't have to bring animal sacrifices, aren't you? (laughs) I'm so thankful I get to bring sacrifices of praise and obedience. And finally, 1 Peter, the most specific New Testament reference to uh, our being a, a nation of priests, a people of priests. Verse 15, 1 Peter 1, He has called you to be holy, holy in your conduct, because it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And then chapter 2, verse 9, listen, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, You're a people of his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Just a question. How in your life are you proclaiming that he's excellent? It's going to look different in your contexts, in your workplaces, in school, in your home. But how do we proclaim that he's an excellent God? Partly it's how we live, but it's partly the words we use. He's called us out of darkness and into light. You see, we still get to serve in this intercessory role. If you think about the fact that if you imagine that the the tent was here with God's presence and the priests would, would bring the sacrifices and they would say, Oh God, the people have sinned. I have sinned. I bring appropriate acknowledgement of my sin. Cleanse us. We still get to do that with our prayers. And then the priest would get to turn around and say, God proclaims upon you the forgiveness of your sins. And the people who couldn't access God were able to hear that. And you and I get to, again, be both a representative and intermediary and intercessor. And it's a great and high privilege and calling to do so. I pray that we would be able to step in to the role he's called us to do and to bring people and to let them know that there's a God who loves them, who who will cleanse them, that for those who don't know, there is access now available. Because of what Jesus did, because he is in an amazing way, both the high priest and the victim, he being the Lamb of God, the one slain, one time, one sacrifice for all men and women everywhere. We get to celebrate that. It makes life, we don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of disaster. You don't have to be afraid of elections. You don't have to be afraid of anything in our world, the noise of it. You don't have to be afraid because God loves you so much He made provision in Jesus. He said when we get together, we get to remember and celebrate this provision. Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. Just like his body was broken, 
as the ultimate sacrifice. He broke this bread as a symbol. It's a ritual. It's a way for us to remember. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. We've got to partake. If you just look at the bread and say, I think that's a great thing. I I, I think that's wonderful. I love watching other people do it. It's fine, but you'll never enter in. In the same way, when you say, oh, that Jesus stuff, it looks cool. I'm going to see other people do it. We can enter in by partaking of Jesus Christ in faith, accepting, receiving him. This becomes an outer symbol, a mark of grace, an outward sign of what's visible in reality inside. After supper, he took a cup of wine, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. We take this wine as a reminder that it was his blood, his life. Life is in the blood. He gave up everything for us. We get to sacrifice our lives on the altar And we get to experience with him resurrection life. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, these are great mysteries. And to understand how we translate from thousands of years ago, things you were doing to teach your people, and now we get to walk into the reality of what was a shadow for them. It was always meant to be a shadow. The tent, the sacrifices, the feasts, They were always never meant to be the reality themselves. We get to experience new life, the reality through Jesus of what they saw in shadowy form. Lord, as we remember and proclaim through your death, your resurrection, we get to use this sacrament as pointing to what will ultimately be true, that we would feast together forever. Lord, help us to become a nation of priests, people who proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.